of ministry with us here today. Um, in, in the that God has given you both in English and Spanish. Uh, we continue to be a church on the move, um, on the move for, for the Lord in our community. And while our pastor is away, um, remember him and Sonia, uh, we continue to lift them up. Um, and as we get ready to uh, continue to worship the Lord, and stay in the same spirit, same spirit of worship here today. Uh, I'll bring you a few announcements and we'll then open up in prayer in preparation for hearing the word. Uh, so just by way of announcements, um, our pastor is away uh, for this week, Pastor Joe and Sonia. They will be back with us next Sunday. Uh, so they are. Uh, I think they've had a good time at a wedding uh, for family. Um, so I think they are uh, getting so much needed rest as well. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend. Um, and so we've got a number of people who are also in place. So we do ask that you keep all of our folks in prayer as they're traveling the highways and byways. Uh, in speaking with Chuck today, he was telling me that I think over this weekend, uh, there is sort of a, a call for anybody who's a musician to brought into their into their lawn and just sort of play their music uh, in honor of Memorial Day, right? Chuck, that, that's about right. Yeah, so um, tomorrow, if you hear music coming from all over, uh, just encourage your neighbors. It's, yeah, you think it's an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, meet, greet, and speak with our neighbors in our communities in which you live. It's a great opportunity for this fellowship um, and getting to know one another in this holiday that's really uh, great. Um, other announcements, um, there are a few needs um, in the congregation. So uh, Bruce, those of us who are familiar with Bruce, um, he asks that we continue to remember him as well if he's looking at trying to find a place to stay he's an interim place to stay. So if anybody has any needs, he is uh, needing some housing for the next couple of months uh, while his housing is actually getting in order. Uh, so if anybody has any needs, please Follow up with the email that was sent around, or you can follow up with um, or Chuck, uh, sorry, at least we actually can hear a little bit later today. Um, any other announcements? No? Nope. All right, all right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and remember one another, prepare our hearts and minds for the word, continuing worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, thanking you, Father, that it is another day where there is breath in our bodies, where we can move our arms and limbs, where we have life, Lord, life that not everybody was granted today. Lord, we pray that with every breath in our body, with every ounce of strength that we have today, Lord, that we would glorify you. Lord, that we would realize that you are the source of our strength, the very essence of our being. Lord, you called us into your mighty works, Lord, into your mighty kingdom. Father, we thank you, Lord, because we could have died, Lord. Lord, we hear so much tragedy in the news, Lord, and what's going on in the communities around this country and around the world. Lord, and we realize that Satan is busy, Lord. Lord, for every child, Lord, who's been lost for every parent and family who's been bereaved, Lord, over this past week. Lord, we continue to lift them up. Lord, we say a special prayer, asking Father God they would not lose hope, Lord. Hope, Lord, that you have actually 
conquer the evil, Lord. And even though we have to endure it, Father, for a season, Jesus Christ has done it all. Lord, that our loved ones who are taken from us, Lord, you say that they are hidden with Christ in you. And when Christ is revealed, they too will be revealed. Lord, but in the meanwhile, Lord, just pray that, Lord, you will station saints and angels around each person who would be hurting, who would be grieving and bereaved. Lord, that you would speak a word in due season. Lord, that you would give a listening ear when it needs to be there. Lord, that you would give a hug when it's needed. These are difficult days and times, Lord. But you promised us the victory. Help us to hold fast to you. Stand firm. Lord, for those of us in our own congregation, Lord, for you to help the country, Lord, pray that they would lean into you, Lord. Lord, that their doctrines, Lord, would have good, sharp minds and follow up to their care, Lord. But we, we look beyond the doctors, Lord, knowing that you are the healer behind the healers. Lord, and when you bring that healing, Lord, we'll give you the glory, Father, because it's you who've done it. Lord, for everybody who's dealing with this virus and this pandemic that continues to rage, Lord, and it's on the uptick, Lord, give them speedy recovery, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that through medicine and wise planning, it's not as severe, Lord, but people are still having to deal with the injury and ailment, Lord. We lift up Mary Bell as she is also in recovery from this as well, Lord. Give her strength, Lord. We just pray that she is able to rest and fully recuperate, Lord, that this virus would not continue to drag her down. Lord, we lift up those like Summer, Lord, who are still dealing with health and trying to rebound as well. Lord, I just pray that you continue to bring that healing, Lord. Make yourself known in her life and in her presence, Lord, as the person who has actually brought her back. Lord, we lift up Bruce, Lord. We lift up those who, who are leaning on you in, in times where, Lord, you, you, we, we count on you to show up. You show up through your saints. Show up, Lord, through, through the people who you place, Lord. Let us to be edifiers of one another, Father. And in the end, Lord, help us to see you through it all. Lord, we ask that you keep Pastor Johnny and, and Sonia uh, and Miriela safe, Lord. As they're away with family, Lord, bring them back. Lord, the calling that you called them to, Lord, I just pray that you give them rest and recovery this, this weekend. Lord, and as they re-engage, Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit has gone before them, that it's touched hearts, whether it's prepared minds and ears ready to hear and ready to receive from you. Help us to be your vessels. And we'll give you the praise and it's all said and done. Prepare our hearts and minds, Lord, for the word that you will speak and bring forth today. Lord, give us ears that hear, Lord, but give us hearts that would be yielded to you. Give us obedience, Lord, as you would prompt us, challenge us, maybe even chastise us if you need be. But we know, Lord, that it's all in love because we are your children. We thank you and praise you all on this mighty day, knowing that you are king. No matter what we see around us, you are in control. And you've brought the victory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So we, we 
don't have our technology up uh, this week because you know sometimes we run into glitches. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to proceed. Um, we do have um, the verses in both English and Spanish. It is in the technology, though. Um, and so uh, what, what I'll do is if anybody does want the Spanish translation, uh, if you just send me a, an email, I can absolutely send it, send it along as well. So we can make sure that we get it to anybody who needs it. Um, um, just we apologize that it's not ready in real time, um, but we will still proceed. God's word is still powerful, no matter what language is spoken. But we do want to be mindful um, for those of us who, who do want the language in, in Spanish as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to open our scriptures. Um, the verses that we'll be looking at today are going to be pulled from Second Kings chapter eleven, verses one through three. Second Kings chapter eleven, one through three, or dos reyes, once, uno y dos y tres. That's about all the Spanish I got. <laughs> As you're turning there, let me just uh, reflect a bit on what we probably all witnessed uh, in the news for certainly over the past couple of weeks. A lot of calamity, um, a lot of heartbreak uh, from you know, mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, that are targeting people based on ethnic and racial differences to mass shootings that happen where 19 children, teachers were gunned down and senseless acts of violence. And mass shooting right here in Southern California at a church, at the title of this church as well. With all the things that you know come through the media, sometimes it's hard for us to realize that you know, the Lord is still present and God is in control. We see these things. And these are real tragedies. Um, and God has placed us in the midst of, of darkness, um, to be salt and light. I know that a lot of times we, you know, respond as a society, as a community, um, and say that, hey, we need to rally folks, and get the numbers together to make these changes so that these things don't happen. Um, and, and it's so hard to just get everybody on the same page because we're so divided in this nation as this country. But I think the good news in all of this is, you know, when we look at what God has to say about things and how God moves, you know, God doesn't necessarily need great numbers. God doesn't need all the resources. God doesn't need people in high positions of politicians in order to bring change, change hearts and transform people. As a matter of fact, more often than not, God actually uses the very opposite of the very things that we as humans would look towards as the solution. God uses not the people who are strong and powerful, but the people who may be low, people who may be few in number, the folks who may not necessarily uh, have the clout. God chooses everyday people, everyday people who God will use and show forth his power. So that when the transformation happens, when the light is brought into dark places, we have to actually praise God for it. Because it's humanly impossible to actually see this world affected in the way that God intends for it to be done by human hands, but it's done by ingenuity from, from mankind. So, so we hold on to hope. We do what we can, obviously. Um, 
we, we do and we use whatever's at our avail to address the situations that are going on around us. There's great need. Um, but ultimately, we don't put our faith and trust in man. We don't put our faith and trust in our wealth, in our riches, um, in anything that we can mobilize as humans. We put our faith and trust in the Lord. Because it's not by power of might that these things are done, but by his spirit. So, so with that in mind, you know, I, I think it's oftentimes the temptation for us to look at uh, you know, this world and, and the problems that we see and think that if we only had more people who could be responsible, if we only had, you know, more resources that we can devote to the problem and solving and fixing the issue. If you only had the right people, you know, in power, uh, then things would be better. And maybe, maybe that could be helpful. But, but, but I do notice the model that God gives us is not about using the many. It's not about using the most. It's about how powerful God is. And God will still use the one or the two or the few. So that at the end of the day, we have to praise God for it. So we got it. And that really is, is pointing to our scripture and our passage today that we're going to look at. It's, it's a passage that uh, probably most of us haven't ever really even read, let alone thought about or meditated on. Um, but it's, it's a passage that actually, the, the, it's the hinge point on which our very existence here today actually hinged upon. It is such an important part of scripture um, that many of us probably haven't even sort of stopped to even realize it. Uh, and we're gonna read it here and it's just three verses, but before we launch it to verse, I'm gonna give you an analogy to hold on to. Uh, it's gonna illustrate sort of the theme of what we're gonna read. So those of you who know me, uh, you know that I do uh, a lot of work, you know, in, in other places in other countries. Uh, and over the pandemic, I got to stay home for a good two years, and uh, that was great, you know, to be at home for two years with my wife and my daughter, and I don't know if they could stand it, but I was home for two years. Um, but once things started to clear up, I started to travel again. Um, and so uh, most recently, I've come back uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I spent some time in West Africa, um, and it's, I've been there before, but I was in a different part of the country part of that the continent at that point. Um, and, and here's one of the things that, that really sort of stuck with me from, from this last excursion that I was on. Um, it was hot. It was very hot. Um, I got more sun in a couple of weeks than I've gotten in two years of the pandemic shut. And it showed. Um, I was in a place where when I looked at the uh, weather online, it said it was going to be a balmy 77, 78 degrees every day. But just, you know, how, how things typically roll when I make these trips. I'll land in the place that the online weather is talking about, and it sure is nice. It was 77 degrees. But then I'll get in a car with people who are from there, and they'll drive, and they'll drive, and they'll drive. And hours later, they're in a very different environment in a very different place. It's no longer 77 degrees, now it's in the 90s. Now it's in the hundreds of degrees. And there's no vegetation. Now I'm in the desert. And there's no internet. You know, and I'm in places like this. It's dusty. It's dirty. And this is where I spent my time. I spent my time in a place that was sweltering. Uh, dust was constantly blowing. 
I was out there in the elements, you know, in the dirt every day for hours and hours on end. Um, and at the end of each day, you know, all I wanted to do, along with everybody who was there, was just, I could just get back and jump in a tub and get all this dirt and grime off. Just jump in a tub. Nothing sounded better than just to immerse myself in, in a deep vat of water after being just drained like that each day. But here's the reality that, that was so interesting to me. So the place in which I was staying, you know, I would get back at the end of the day, sometimes 10, 11, 30 at night. Um, and it did have a shower. And when you turned on that shower, you would expect, you know, water to just come flowing out. But it was just a trickle. It was just a trickle. And, and here's the thing, as long as nobody else who was staying in the vicinity turned on their water, you got the trickle. But if everybody came back at the same time and everybody turned on their water, it would just be a trip, trip, trip. That's the most you would get, just a few drops every second or so. So the way that we actually had to, to deal with that over the time was we would get these buckets and we would turn on the water so we would get the drips and we would go and do our thing. And then hours later, we'd come back and those drips would actually add up to enough water where we could actually take a, a bucket bath or, or you know, a, a bathe off you know, from, from a very little bit of water. And it still got the job done. Now, don't get me wrong, when I was there, I, my, my dream was when I get back home, I'm gonna jump in a tub, but it actually got the job. A little bit of water, whose job it was to cleanse all the dirt and grime, still got the job done, even if it was just a few drops and not the huge spring of water that I actually dreamed of. Hold that analogy in mind. Hold that analogy in mind. Just a little bit in God's hands is enough to get the job done. Second Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Now when Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she set about to destroy all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, king of Joram's daughter, Ahaziah's sister, what King Joram's daughter, I'm sorry, but Jehoshaphat, king Joram's daughter, Ahaziah's sister, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's children who were about to be killed. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus, she hid him from Athaliah so that he was not killed. He remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. An interesting, very short passage, but very, very, very pivotal in the history of not just Judaism, but Christianity. To understand a bit about what this is actually telling us, though, um, I have to give you a bit of context on the history of uh, Israel and Judah at this time, and so just bear with me because there are a lot of names and it can be quite confusing, so I'm going to give you sort of the clip notes so that we can sort of move through this in a way that's not so confusing. Um, but what we're looking at here, we have to remember that during this time in Israel's history, Israel as a kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. And in this division, we actually had a number of kings, a number of rulers that ruled each kingdom. 
most of these rulers of these kingdoms, the Bible says, were evil. They did evil in God's sight. They were wicked. They did things that actually led the people astray, not from worshiping God in the way that God would want them to be worshiped and to be the witness to the world, but actually worshiping idols and false gods. And, and back in this time, people didn't have what we would call today religions. Right? It's not like you can sort of be in a community and this person worships this religion and this person worships has a different religion. Religions meant that you were actually following the customs and traditions aligned with that people. So if you followed Yahweh, then you followed the Ten Commandments. You followed all the commandments that dictated all of life. If you followed Baal, another false god, then you followed all the tenets that dictated life under Baal. So your lives were very, very different. And so this is what was going on in Israel and Judah during this time. And these kings and these rulers actually were influenced by these idols and brought in a different way of life, a different way of living, because they're actually following idols instead of following Yah, their God. Well, the Bible tells us one of the most wicked, one of the most evil pair of rulers there were in this time was a king named Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel uh, sort of have the hallmark and sort of the, the low point um, of all the kings of Israel um, and their influence on Judah because what we know about these two, Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal. And she brought in this worship into Israel. And Ahab, her husband, who was king of Israel, adopted it. So he turned completely away from the Lord and started to follow this foreign God. These two also caused many of the people to turn away from the Lord as well. And God would bring judgment as a result of that. But Ahab and Jezebel, being, being as evil as they were, they had children. And the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel was Athaliah, the person about whom we're reading. And Athaliah was the princess of, of Israel. And she obviously followed in the footsteps of her mother and father. She also worshiped Baal. She lived her life by Baal. She did not worship Yahweh. Through political means, she actually was married off to the son of the king of Judah, the other, the other kingdom. So she was married off to a man named Jor Joram, who was a prince at the time. And she brought all of that influence of evilness and wickedness with her. Um, and even though Joram uh, was the son of King Jehoshaphat, who was actually a righteous king, when he married Athaliah, things started to go very different. He, uh, he too became influenced by the worship of Baal. And he then turned and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he became king. He actually operated in such a way that it was blasphemous to the Lord. In order to assure himself the rule of the throne, he actually killed off his siblings just so that he could maintain power. This is how these influences started to come in. He actually had a son. Him and Athaliah had a son. They had a number of children, one of whom was Ahaziah. Ahaziah would become king. Ahaziah, unfortunately, was influenced by the worship of his parents as well, Baal worship. And so he did evil in the sight of the Lord as well. And so God passed judgment and Ahaziah didn't last too long. Uh, and so when 
God brought in people to actually wipe out Ahab and Jezebel for all the sin that they had caused and done. He also wiped out Ahaziah because Ahaziah was in line with them as well. And so at that point, there was no king in Judah. Ahaziah was dead. And this is where our story is picking up. And what it says then is Athaliah, who was basically the queen mother, saw that the next person in line to take the throne was going to be one of her grandchildren, Ahaziah's children. But rather than let that happen, she sought to seize power for herself. But the only way that she could do that, because she was actually not in line to the throne, she was not of the Davidic line in Judah. The only way she could do that was to kill anybody who had a claim to the throne, which was her own grandchildren and children. And that is what she proceeded to do. She had all of her grandchildren rounded up from the oldest to the youngest and had them executed. She had any of the relatives and children that she had had rounded up who hadn't been killed off by their brother already, rounded up and executed. It was, it was a massacre of innocent young people, which brought about tremendous grief for Judah. When we think about the, the massacre of, of young people in our own society and community, and, and we, we realize the pain that it causes, um, you know, we can see in scripture that there are times that were that dark, if, if not worse. And when I say if not worse, not only did the entire royal family seem to be wiped out and innocent children were killed, they were killed by their grandmother. Talk about the world's worst grandmother, right? They were killed by their grandmother. This left Judah in quite a predicament because Athaliah rose to the throne, but she was not of the lineage of David. Why is that such a problem? Because in the beginning, God made a promise, first of all, to Adam and Eve, back at the fall when sin entered the world, and his promise to them, if you look at Genesis 3.15, actually says that God is going to bring a seed, an offspring, that is going to crush the head of Satan, crush the head of the serpent. God is going to bring hope, even in the midst of the calamity and all the tragedy that's now triggered and set off in the world because of sin. Then in 2 Samuel, God makes that promise even more specific. He says that seed that he's going to bring and preserve, Jesus Christ, is going to come through the line of David. And he's going to establish David's line as king forever into eternity. That's Jesus Christ who will reign forever. So God even took that promise and made it more specific, but that was the hinge point. Christ, the appointed one, the seed that God was going to bring was going to come through a particular person. David is going to come through his line. What Athaliah did was try to kill off all of David's descendants so that she could assume the throne. So when all of these children and all of these people were killed, not only was it a tragedy, but for the people of Judah, it looked like God's promise to actually bring about the Messiah through this line of people, through David, God had failed his promise because according to what it looked like, they were all dead. The line had been wiped out. The very line that God said he would preserve looked like it had been wiped out. It was a dark day in Judah because never in their history had God actually failed his promises. 
if we consider how difficult things can actually feel and be in our darkest moment, this was it. This was it. Not only is it death and destruction, not only do you get a ruler who is coming in with the worst worship, it looks like everything that everybody has believed and trusted in God for is that those hopes are now dashed. This is actually a part of a long history. Um, and if we ever wonder why, why not the lie was motivated in the way that she was, um, there, there's, there's, I, I don't know, you know, but I, I will give you sort of a conjecture of it, but it is a conjecture. Um, there's a long history of this battle between the worshipers of Yahweh, Israel's God, and the worshipers of Baal. If we can think back to Elijah, Elijah and Jezebel had lots and lots of go-rounds around this very issue. And there was one point where all of the priests of Baal basically set up sort of a contest with, with Elijah. And Elijah had them basically put an altar together and, and dump a bunch of water um, on, on a sacrifice. And, and he said, okay, well, call out to your God Baal um, to come and, you know, consume this altar. And, and they went to crying out and cutting themselves and bleeding and all the things that they do when you worship Baal. Nothing happened. And then Elijah said a prayer to Yahweh. And not only did Yahweh descend and eat that up with fire and consume everything, but it consumed the prophets, the prophets of Baal as well. Um, and, and time and time again, Elijah showed forth that Yahweh was much more powerful than Baal. Time and time again. So much so that Jezebel and Ahab started to fall out of favor with the people of Israel and Judah because clearly God is sovereign even over Baal. And so their legacy went into decline quite a bit. But Athaliah was a follower of Baal. And this seemed to be the opportunity there when she saw that, wow, these descendants of David, who, who at first were many and numerous because it was prosperous. And of course, the people saw that there were all these kids that David had, and, and you know, there's no there's no issue or worry that God is going to bring the Messiah to these people. Those were the good days. But then as Baal worship creeped in and started to influence even those children. Joram starts to kill off his brothers and sisters just so that he could proclaim and, and assume the, the throne. Accidents and raids started to kill off the others. So by the time we get to Athaliah, there's actually just a few left. So it's an opportunity for her to actually finish off the line and assume the throne herself. It's now within her sights to not just assume authority and take the throne, but to actually kill off the entire line. And then Yahweh would have failed his promise and Baal would be reinstated. That's the, that's the subtext behind this. If you ever wonder what's motivating this person. And it looked like she would have been successful with the exception of a few characters. What the scripture tells us is Jehoshaphat, the aunt of this little baby who was destined to be slaughtered. She actually shows great courage in the moment. And while the kids are all being rounded up in order to be 
massacred and executed, she steals away Joash, who's just an infant at the time, steals him away along with his nurse because he's an infant, and hides them in a bedroom or a closet, like a linen closet, so that everybody else is rounded up and killed, but they overlook this infant, the last child of Ahaziah who has died, who is of the line of David. So we've got one person left. And then it says for the next six years, she hides him and she hides him in the temple. Jehoshaphat is actually married to the high priest. The high priest lives in the temple. In the temple, there are lots and lots of rooms where all of the priests actually can live. And many of the people from the outside cannot actually go into its sacred ground. So it presented sort of the perfect hiding place for six years to hide a grandchild away from their grandmother. And of course, their grandmother worships for all, not Yahweh. So guess where the grandmother's not going to go? Into the temple. With all of these rooms, and any of her followers, Athaliah's followers, wouldn't go in. So it was the perfect hiding place. For six years, this young man and his nurse were sort of hidden away. When we think about in the New Testament, Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, hey, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house with many rooms. Think and reflect on this. In the temple, in the house of God, for, for the, the, in Israel, there were many rooms. And God absolutely prepared a place, a place of safety, a place of, a place of sanctuary, for this young child to preserve the seed so that his word would not fail. And this is what the story is giving us. And why is this so important? Because if Satan has succeeded, if Athaliah had actually succeeded, there would be no Joash. He would be killed. And if there's no Joash, there's no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, there's no salvation. And if there's no salvation, there's no reason for us to be here today in fellowship, in family with one another. The entire sort of play out of God's plan in Christianity hinged on this one moment. We have movies that, that sort of use this theme. Can, can, can people go back in time and kill the parents of the person who, who becomes the problem for them, right? You think about Terminator movies, right? They, they pull it from Satan's plan. This is, this is Satan's plan. Can we kill them all off so that this promised seed that's going to crush our authority in our head no longer can come to fruition? And God is shown to be alive and Satan continues to rule. That's, that's Satan's whole plan. Thank God that God is faithful to his word. And so what we want to do is we want to take the lessons that we can from this, this very important pivotal point of scripture and, and look at a few of the characters. Um, there are a number of characters that I think we can draw great comfort, but also great lessons from if we just consider, number one, how God used them and who God is. There's God which we'll, we'll talk about uh, first because God is the foundation of the key. There, of course, is Jehoshaphat, the lady who showed courage in the moment to rescue this young child. There's Joash, the young child who got rescued. And then there's Athaliah as, as the warning. Let's start with the Lord. Let's start with God. So, you know, why in the world would God choose to 
intervene in this particular way, as opposed to something like, God, all these children and all these adults and these relatives of the line of David who've done nothing wrong are being rounded up and executed. Why would God not send an army or a legion or, or angels to rescue the Davidic line? Why would he not do that? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But what we can see repeatedly in scripture is that God typically doesn't rely on the mighty or the many. God typically takes the few, the one, the lowly, and that's who he works through. When we think about Gideon, when we think about, you know, when, when Israel is about to go to battle with these armies of tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands, what God will often do is he'll take Israel's army and he'll pare it down. They'll say, even though you're already outnumbered and you've got tens of thousands that are one hundred thousands, I'm going to take you down to a few hundred, and you're going to go against hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands, and God brings the victory. And when God brings the victory, it's in those sorts of circumstances. Nobody can say that it's human ingenuity. It's, it's the sign of a genius general. Everybody has to acknowledge that God is the one who's done this, and God repeatedly does this. He takes people like you and me, as opposed to people who are wealthy, powerful, and a plow, to actually work through and bring the change that brings about his plans, his accomplishments. So you and I, we are not people who are necessarily uh, you know, worthy because we are famous, you know, we may not have cotton full, but what we are is available to the Lord. And then at that availability, God will come in and use us and empower us and actually accomplish his purpose and we'll see great things. God chooses to work this way more often than not in scripture. I, I, I do think about, you know, when God then brings forth his power and shows forth his might and we all give him glory. It's not just that we give him glory. Even though that's important, that's a witness to the world. But we're also strengthened as a result of that. We're strengthened as a result of it. If we can imagine how this how this passage actually plays out, what happens when when you know they they hide this kid away for for six years? What happens is in the seventh year, they actually then make this plan to reveal this kid that hey, you thought that the Davidic line was wiped out. We're actually going to reveal it. And we're going to crown him king. The high priest then crowned him as king. And all of the soldiers and everybody in Judah rejoiced. Because remember, for six years, they thought God's promises had failed. They thought somehow Baal had won. When they see that God has actually kept his promise, there is one left. They then were strengthened in that. And that strengthened does not mean that they were now sort of back to their old self. They come back stronger. That is how this works. When we go through calamity, when we go through the worst, when we think we're broken, and, and we may not at the time feel like we're very strong, this is where God steps in. This is where this is the invitation for the Lord to actually step forward. Remember that that poem, Footprints, right? Where it's walking on the sand and, and you can sort of look back over your life and you can see two sets of footprints. It's yours and it's the Lord's. And, and it seems like God is walking side by side with you and you side by side with the Lord. And then every now and then you notice that there's only one set of footprints. 
And you notice with that one set that typically is marked by periods in your life where things were very, very difficult. Very, very difficult, so much so that it seems like maybe God was far from you. And what, what you're likely to conclude is that one set of footprints are your footprints and that God somehow has departed. And the question then arises from that point, God, why in my worst moments did you leave? I only see one set of footprints. Where did you go in my worst moments? And God's response was, I never left you. That's when I was carried. The footprints aren't yours, they're mine. You're in my arms. And I think that's a perfect, perfect illustration of what actually God plays out as the opportunity where he steps in and he picks us up because he picks us up when we can no longer do anything for ourselves. That's a perfect indication for the Lord. And so God continually showing up in these ways in scripture, we can take heart that when we go through our wars and it seems like God is furthest from us, we have to remember this is where God is actually now showing up in ways where we cannot help ourselves and he's rising to the fore. And when we actually can look back on it, and oftentimes we look back on it and we see that it was actually the Lord that brought us to it. It strengthened. It reminds me of the, of the story that I've told many times in, in Haiti, um, where the young man was uh, in the earthquake and he was buried in the rubble. He was seven years old. And his parents were trying to dig him out and they thought he was dead. And when they pulled him out, they found that he was actually alive. He didn't have a scratch on him. But they noticed that over the past several days afterwards, after they pulled him out of the rubble, he actually started to shut down and close up. Typical trauma response. And the mom, being the mom that she is, dear lady, she asked him, she, she noticed that, hey, at times when the family gathers to pray before the meals, that's when he would actually close up even more. He wouldn't pray with the family. She says, hey, what's going on? I noticed that you're actually not praying with the family. And if you recall from the story that I've told it a few times, what, what did he say to his mother? He said, hey, mom, I, I don't need to pray anymore. Why not? Because I prayed when the earth was shaking and I was sort of buried in that rubble that God would stop the ground from moving and God didn't listen. So God wasn't there. God's not real. He said, you know who stopped the earthquake? She said, who? He said, I did. How did you stop the earthquake? Well, when God didn't listen, I actually bent down to stop the ground from shaking. When I bent down, that's when the ground stopped moving. So that's when everything collapsed on him. And they were actually able to save his life because he was actually in that bent down house position. So mom realizing what's actually going on with this, that this young man is not just dealing with a trauma reaction from being buried in rubble, but he actually believes that God has forsaken him. In his darkest moment, somehow God has failed his promise to never leave or forsake him. And mom responds, God never left you or forsake you. I can see that she had sort of the footprints poem in her head. God never left you or forsake you. At that time when you prayed to God, God heard your prayer. And God responded by putting the power in your own hands so that you would act on your own behalf in that moment. When you bent down to stop the ground and the ground stopped moving, that is what saved your life. Now for the mind of a seven-year-old, it allowed him to sort of dial in and realize that God never left me. God was there in the midst of it. And this is why I'm here today because God actually was with me when I thought he was far from me. And as a result of him being able to then get that perspective in retrospect, he was strengthened. He was able to dial back in, but he didn't come back to the kid that he once was. He came back as the kid who knew that if you pray for anything with your heart, you actually have to be and act in accordance to what you are asking and praying to God for. 
And even though you do not wish any kid to go through a situation where they're buried in tomb for hours thinking that they're dead and forsaken, you want every kid to get that lesson that those things that you trust and depend on God for, you have to act in accordance with. If we had more kids who had that, this world would change. This world would be a different place. This is what we mean when we say God is with us in the worst situations, and, and we have to give him glory because there's no way that we can survive without him. But on the other side of giving him glory and being the witness to the world, we're strengthened all the more so in our hope, faith, and trust in the Lord, and we can go on and we can do more. All of this works together in our lives in this way. God is faithful to his word. When we think about Jehoshaphat, the aunt who saved Christmas is what many people call the story. Because she stepped in and she saved her nephew from being killed. That nephew would give birth to Jesus, would give birth to a number of people, and Jesus would come from that line. Without Joash, there's no Jesus. Therefore, Jehoshaphat, the woman who saved Christmas. But Jehoshaphat, in the moment, had to be courageous. It is, she had the courage to be a selfless servant in a particular moment, at great peril to herself, to step in and rescue this young child. It was not her job to actually preserve the Davidic line. As a matter of fact, the job was probably more the priest's job. But remember, so much was going on in the season in Israel's life that for whatever reason, either the priests were timid, afraid, but they should have actually did gave voice to what God said, the Messiah, the seed, the hope for humanity should come through this line. We see somebody who's motivated by the legacy of her own forebearers in worshiping involved to, to eradicate this line. They should have stepped in. They should have protected in some way, but for whatever reason, they didn't. So instead of them stepping to the fore, Jehoshaphat, who's not a priest, she's a princess, steps in and she does it. When there are the needs of the people around us, sometimes we think if it's not our job, then we don't step in. But I do pray that God would give us the spirit of Jehoshaphat in moments like this, where there is need. Because even though it may not be her job, it may not be our job, can we still be responsive in the moment to somebody who is in need? It takes selfless sacrifice. It takes courage because absolutely, she was in peril to do this. But she and no one else showed this courage. And as a result, it actually saved this young man. I do think too, we may miss the fact that there's actually an unnamed person in this. You know, when we think about how God might not use the many to, to save the Davidic line, he may use the one or the two or the few. Jehoshaphat was a prince. She actually was a part of the royal family in some way. She had some, uh, she was no match for a queen, of course, but she had some, or she was married to the high priest. She used what she had in order to serve the needs of somebody who was in dire straits. But there was another who had even less, wow, more vulnerable. And that was the nurse of Jehoash, of Joash, the nurse of Joash. She's not even named in scripture. This was a person who had no status. This was a person who we hear nothing about. We don't even know what happened to her. But she actually was a selfless servant in a, in a very different way. Because in the moment, Jehoshaphat showed courage in the moment. And that's courage. 
But this nurse, she didn't have to show courage in a moment. She needed courage for years because what it meant for her was she was going to be in peril. But she had to protect, she had to nurse, she had to nourish, and she had to raise a kid in secrecy for years. She had to give up her freedom. She could not go about and connect with people because this had to be kept under wraps. She had to commit her entire being for years. This is the model of accompaniment. This is not just showing up in the moment. This is how do you walk with somebody through their development, through the times where you're changing dirty diapers. I, I often run into people when I go and uh, when I visit family back home, I'm from Florida, originally from Florida. Whenever I run into people who I don't know who are much older than me, oftentimes they'll, they'll realize who I am and they'll say, hey, I used to change your diapers. You know, one of the people like that? I used to change, I don't know who they are, right? But they know me because they, they babysat me. They took care of me when I was a kid. I don't remember them, but they remember me. And I think, you know, so much respect is due to those people. Why? Because think about what it means to change dirty diapers repeatedly, right? And that's a metaphor for when people are truly developing and growing. Dirty diapers, right? When, when, when we're accompanying people who are trying to grow and develop, we're accompanying people who they don't have the fruit of the spirit sort of ready yet. They're, they're dealing with all sorts, they lose their temper, they'll curse you out, they fall off, right? And you have to somehow hang in there with them as God is growing you. That's a special calling of the call today. This nurse gave up her freedom, her life, in order to accompany this young man for years. Selflessness in a new way. And I think about the times when I worked at, uh, in response to, if you remember a few years back, several years ago, a terrorist attack um, in San Bernardino. Don't have to go far sometimes. Um, I worked with the first responders. Uh, because there are a number of people who were stuck in a room and a gunman came in along with his life and they shot up a bunch of people. And so I responded and worked with those first responders, those police, those firefighters who, who were on the scene because they had a difficult time with what they saw. Just like the first responders in, in Texas, they're going to have a difficult time behind it. Nobody's ready for kids to be murdered and massacred. And, and I worked with them. And you know what? It, it was difficult for them. But you know who it was even more difficult for, which, which nobody ever talks about. There was a group of therapists who were assigned to work with and accompany for the next couple of years afterwards, the survivors and families that were directly impacted. And they worked with those families day in, day out for years. That was a very, very different type of work. And it was much more difficult because now you're dealing with impact, who got all sorts of trauma, who are angry. And some days they're not appreciative, right? And yet you have to still stay in there and be the minister and the servant in order to help people until they're back well until they're in a place where they can sort of process that. That is a different problem. And that is what this nurse was called to. It's a perfect model for us to consider what God calls us to sometimes. Sometimes it's courage in the moment, but many times it's courage for the season of somebody's life that we come and, and And finally, let me just say something about Josh. Josh, the young infant seemed helpless. Um, you know, God could have absolutely, you know, saved other people, the older kids or what have you, the adults even. But, you know, they, if they had been saved, we'd have probably been saying it's because they hid, they were fast, they were genius, they somehow talked their way out of it. And we don't give that glory to God. So God 
permits this for some reason. And he helps the one who is most helpless so that we see that it's truly God. And sometimes we have to realize that Joash in his infancy, that can be us in this way. God hides him for six years. And in that hiding, it's not just for his protection. That hiding is for his development because in the year seven, he's gonna actually be crowned king. But until then, there's no way that he can assume that position or assume that role. He's not ready for that. Even at seven, he needs help and God instills that. There are times in our own lives where we feel God's calling and we wanna storm the gates of hell and take on Satan directly. But so often, just like those of us who have a lot of zeal when we first come to Christ, we have to go through a season of development and preparation. God has to get with us and work with us and prepare us in order to walk into that calling that he's called us to do. And it can be quite frustrating because we don't see things happening for ourselves. And we know that God has something more for us. But can we be patient knowing that this is actually for our development? And we have to take the lessons that God is giving us and then move into his calling in his season. It happened with Jesus 30 years before Jesus showed up on the scene and did his ministry. And he's the son of God, 30 years. And what's happening in those 30 years? He's growing in stature and favor. He's growing, he's being developed. It happens for Moses, who's hidden in the reeds. And before Moses proclaims that ministry, when he's in his you know, old age, he's going through all of this development in the house of Pharaoh, out in the desert, taking care of his sheep. God is developing. My own sense, I can just talk about too, in terms of, I remember very clearly in high school where God actually, I had this conversation with the Lord. Lord, I will go anywhere you send me. I'm willing to do it. Send me, send me, send me, send me. And then it was 20 years before God sent me because I said something that was kind of foolish in that prayer. I said, God, send me anywhere I'll go, but don't send me anywhere if I've got a wife and kid. I don't want to drag them through that. But you send me anywhere. And when did God send me? When my daughter was six months old. That's when I started to go all these different places. God is funny, but God also took care of me and takes care of my family and stuff. God knows these things. And what was going on for those 20 years? I was developing. And, and what did I need to develop? Because I was still going some places. But here's what I think I realized in that 20-year time frame. The reason that God didn't send me was not just because I made a foolish statement in my conversation with him. I was going to places like him before I had my wife and my child. And I was looking at the situation, and it's difficult and tough, and I'm looking at it as a puzzle to solve. How do we fix this? How do we do something about it? Once I had my child, once I was a father, and then I went to Haiti, and then I started to process, not as how do I fix this puzzle, I started to process, wow, what is it like for a parent who is helpless to help their child if their child is hungry and the stomach is distended and swollen because it's so hungry? I was sitting in the back of an airplane to cry on the way home because now I'm feeling what a father would feel in a situation like I'm understanding that God is our father now, is not removed and just looking at our situation as a problem to be solved, but he feels this stuff. And before I'm ready to be sent into this world to do what I need to do, I have to get on that wavelength and be able to process in that same way. That's why I think God prepares me and sent me 20 years later, but consistently reminded me, here is your calling, but be patient, continue to do these lessons. And I just leave that with you in terms of God is still preparing you for, for whatever God has for you. Be patient, get those lessons. We see it in hindsight often, but God is faithful. God is faithful.
finally, and then this is in closing, and I know thank you for, for sticking with me on this. Um, the warning is be careful because we can all fall into becoming Athaliah. Athaliah, who actually went on a murderous rampage, claimed power for himself, but motivated by the wrong things. Whenever we are motivated by the legacy of our forebears, she followed her parents' worship of Baal and was consumed with Baal being put down and somehow Yahweh trying, she's trying to fix that legacy. Whenever we're operated by a legacy that we inherit from forebears, because that legacy, if we take it all the way back, is truly Adam and Eve and what we inherit is sin. And when that is what is driving the ship, we're going to actually feed greed, lust for power, all the things that actually are going to hurt the people around us, as opposed to being motivated instead by the divine destiny that God actually calls us to, God has in store for humanity. That divine destiny is actually what should actually cause us to transform and be motivated and, and put us on a new path and a new track in life. Jesus makes that all possible. Jesus makes that all possible. So when we think about God, we bring it all the way back to the Lord. What is God doing in this story? God is doing what he's always done. He's being faithful to his word, his promise to bring the seed and crush the head of Satan. And he's doing it not through the great and the mighty, but he's concerned that we would always see him in the process. So he's using the few, the weak, the people who don't have the clout for the status. He's using you and me. And when things seem darkest, he is there in the midst of that darkness. And he'll show himself and he'll strengthen us for the, for the season to come. He does that with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death redeems all of humanity. He did it with Joash. He preserved just a drop. And I hearken back and I think back to those showers that I was taking at 11.30 at night when I come in out of the, the hot, dusty desert. And I'm thinking, God, the few drops that are still here still get the job done. It gets me clean. It refreshes me. That is such a testimony to how the Lord actually works. We are those drops. We don't need the torrent. We don't need the numbers. We just need God empowering. So please take heart. There's a lot of uh, a lot of calamity out there. But God has placed us in salt and light in the midst of this darkness. Help us to be responsive to the needs of those around us for the moment. Let's be responsive to the needs around us for the long term and the coming of the season. Help us to be responsive to the Lord by being available, even if we don't feel like we have much to offer again, but we have our availability because God is powerful. The old folks used to say in, in my growing up, if you've got Jesus, he's more than enough. If you've got Jesus, he's more than enough. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, we ask that you would just take it, lock it in, Lord. Help us to realize what this means for each and every one of us as we go into our respective worlds, Lord. Help us to be solid in life today and in this week to come. Lord, we thank you that you are mighty and that you are great, Lord, and that you are the one who bring it about. Lord, we be faithful to give you the glory in this all said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.